Freedom is impossible, but God has made the impossible possible. Freedom is impossible, but God has made the impossible possible. Have you ever been crippled by fear? What I mean by that is this. Have you ever been in a situation where your fear or your nerves or your anxiety are so profoundly in your life that you feel that it almost overwhelms you to the point that you fail to regularly adhere to the promises God has for you? Have you ever been so overwhelmed by all the stuff that's going on in your life, by all the things and the hurdles and the challenges and the disasters that have come on your life, and it just all feels like this massive tangled knot, and it's so heavy that you have a hard time resting in the promises of God? Freedom is impossible, but God's made the impossible possible. When we left off this book of Exodus last week, we, we ended after the 10th plague. And if you've been with us on this journey, you know that God's people have been held in slavery in Egypt. And, and God raised up Moses, this man who God would ultimately be the deliverer, but he raised up Moses to be his mouth and his hands to help deliver the people of Israel out of tremendous, harsh slave conditions under Pharaoh of Egypt. And what we saw last week was that one of the ways in which God delivered his people was through these 10 awesome signs, these 10 wonders, these 10 plagues that God sent upon Pharaoh and upon the Egyptians. And what we actually learned last week and the week before as we walked through those 10 plagues was that each of the plagues was a direct attack on one of the gods of Egypt. And so when God turned the Nile red, it was an attack on the God over the Nile. The Egyptians believed the Nile River was the God, the, uh, the sustainer of life who gave water to sustain life. And God turned it red and said, he's not God, Yahweh is God. And then he went God by God throughout the Egyptian uh, gods that they had in their life, and he attacked them, and he had victory over them, and it culminated in the 10th and final plague, which we studied last week, which was the death of the firstborn in Egypt. And we recognize that that was an attack on divinity because Pharaoh was considered God and his firstborn son would have taken his place and become God. And so Yahweh, the God of the Bible, systematically went through. And what we saw last week when we left last week was that God's people finally had freedom. Everything they had been praying for, they got it. God delivered them and they were marching victoriously out of Egypt. We read this in Exodus chapter 14 today, verses 5 to 9. Exodus chapter 14, verse 5. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed towards the people. And they said, what is this we have done, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariots, and he took his army with him, and he took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt. Hear that. All the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, and his horsemen and his army overtook them and camped at the sea by pi Hararoth in front of Baal-Zephon. Now here's what's happened. The Israelites have left Egypt on foot. Now keep in mind, the Israelites at this point, though large in number, are not a military threat. 
it would be like us walking out of this room, but it would be the entirety of us. It would be all of us with all of our infants and our children, and it would be the elderly that are with us, and it would be the sick that are with us. And they went out as a people, not trained for some kind of military campaign, just excited about what they had seen God do, and they were marching toward their freedom, heading out. They had all the hope in the world of what God had promised them. As they're walking out, suddenly, you can just imagine them heading out, they look over their shoulders behind them, and you hear a, a stirring. You can, you know, as they headed out, it was probably a long line that stretched miles long of people coming out of Egypt as they were heading back, and the people in the farthest of the back would start rumbling, and the whispers would come through the line. Pharaoh's brought his army, and they're barreling down on us. And you begin to hear the moans and the complaints coming like a wave through that line of the Israelites all the way to the front of the line until all of God's people were in a panic because they had looked back and all of a sudden they felt as if they were more in danger than they had ever been. Can you imagine what it was like to be them for just a minute? See, sometimes we read these stories and it, it seems almost like a story, just a story that someone made up. But, but this is history and these are real people with real emotions just like you and me. They thought like us. They felt like us. They had dread like us. They had fear like us. They had insecurities like us. Now, now can you imagine what it was like to experience that deliverance out of Egypt after generations of slavery? And then walk out, look behind you, and see your same slave masters coming with 600 chariots and all the chariots of Egypt? The people respond, Exodus chapter 14, verses 10 to 12. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. Isn't that what you would do? They feared greatly, and the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we might serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Now, this moment is completely unbelievable if it wasn't so relatable. God's people are terrified. They've just experienced all the wonders of the power of God in their life. But it's so relatable, isn't it? Don't you go through those cycles as a follower of Christ where you sit in a sermon or you come to your church or God does something so overwhelmingly clear, powerful in your life. He does something that you just stand in awe and you have that moment where you say, I can't believe he did it. I've been praying for this, and he's been so clear to me. He's so good. I will rest on those promises. And you're marching out, and then all of a sudden, a day goes by or two days go by, and you look over your shoulder, and all of a sudden, those same old fears, those same old things in your life that held you hostage all of a sudden barreling down on you again. And all of a sudden, your new freedom, the power that God just displayed in your life, doesn't seem that powerful, and you begin to live underneath that old slavery again. You remember those days? Sometimes the slavery you used to be in before you knew Jesus almost sounds as good as your life in Jesus. You know, as a follower of Christ, we have these seasons in our life where when you accept Christ, you put a whole lens over your life. 
You, you, put, you have this new worldview where you say, God's word defines everything about me. I no longer see the world the way everyone else sees the world. The arguments they have, the things they believe are true about the world and about people and about God and about society. That's not how I see the world anymore. I see it based on what God has revealed. And you begin to march out of Egypt, your former life before, with this new lens. And then all of a sudden, the world starts throwing these arguments at you. The world starts showing you its brokenness and you start leaning in on some of those old things you used to believe to be true and all of a sudden you see the chariots coming behind you and you get crippled with fear and all of a sudden your old life starts to almost make sense and you want to look at these these Israelites and say, you want to go back to slavery in Egypt? Is that really your argument? But we do that all the time. We begin to go back to these old ways of living when God's been so clear with us. Moses is a man who's got a ton of issues in his life, but in this moment, he's a great example of what a follower of Christ does in moments when it seems like you don't know what to do. Keep in mind the scene. The Egyptians are coming with their army from the front, and the Israelites are now standing with the Red Sea at their back. They're pinned. We would all be terrified in that moment. Moses stands up, he says this. Moses said to the people of God, verse 13, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord, that's Yahweh, the Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be what? Silent. (laughs) Who fights for them? Yahweh fights for them. Look at what Moses has said. Two commands, fear not and stand firm. If you know what crippling fear is like in your life, that fear that hinders you from seeing the promises of God with clarity, it it hinders you from actually living in the fullness of the Christian life, equipped by the very words of God to live bold, risk-taking, radically beautiful lives for Jesus. You have that power inside of you as a Christian. But what happens is the chariots of Pharaoh come barreling down on your life. You look back, you say, that looks kind of scary, and you're tempted to go back. Moses says, fear not. He says, don't fear. You know why? Because you have to stand firm on the promises of God. Here's what that means. Imagine it's like wet concrete that you put your feet in, and I choose to stand, and now I'm concreted into the Word of God, and whatever comes my way, whatever chariot comes this way, whatever life throws at me, whatever brokenness, whatever sickness, whatever unexpected tragedy, we are now anchored in the Word of God, and we don't move from it. That's how we stand firm, and notice Moses doesn't have all the answers, does he? He has no idea how God's going to deliver him. He doesn't have a clue. But he knows this, God said it. God said it. And so if God said it, it's true. Stand firm in the promises of God. What does God have in your life? Where you are being crippled by fear, tempted to begin to see the world and think like someone who doesn't have the promises of God. Fear not. Stand firm and see the deliverance of God. Freedom is impossible, but God has made the impossible possible. Thank you, Ray, for 
getting us into the Word. If I haven't met you, my name is Censor Jacob. I'm a partner at Park and also an elder candidate. Uh, just a little bit about myself. I grew up, uh, I was born in Chicago, grew up in Ohio, and my undergrad was uh, focused on critical respiratory therapy. And my first job out of school was managing life support and mechanical ventilators. And then I moved back to Chicago to go to school at Northwestern to be a PA. And I worked in lung transplant for a while and then switched about four years ago to uh, orthopedic surgery. I always knew that I wanted to serve uh, the church and Christ in medicine, uh, but didn't really know how to do that. So I enrolled in the pastoral uh, residency at Park, where my focus was on developing the medical fellowship circulation, which is basically a fellowship at Park uh, for people to come to to experience the gap and bridge the gap between faith and medicine, uh, serving the city of Chicago and globally as well. There's a picture of my family. My wife and I have been together for about 10 years, Tara. Um, she's in the back, and I have a 16-month-old son named Luke. If you've noticed, her stomach has been expanding. It's because we're expecting a, another child in December. Yes, you can, you can share. <laughs> uh, not very photogenic yet. But. Um, so let's remember what Rafe said earlier. Freedom is impossible, but God has made the impossible possible. Church, I have to be honest with you, in preparation for this sermon, my heart has been struggling. And I've, I've honestly felt attacked. Last week on Sunday, I almost emailed Rafe and told him, I'm out, I'm just bailing. And I've, I've felt attacked because I often struggle with my own sin. I often will perseverate and become paralyzed by my own sin and brokenness in my own life. And one of my faults is that I let that that paralysis take away from the glory of God in my mind. And I, I let it take away and I let it rule me and I forget about his glory and who he is. And often I have to refer back to scripture. I have to refer back to Romans 3 verse 10. None is righteous, no, not one. Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The reality is, though I struggle with sin, in the Bible, time and time again, we see that God uses broken people to lead his people for his glory. God even used Moses who murdered someone to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. Often I forget about who our God is and that our God is the same God that spoke to Moses in the burning bush. It's my prayer that today you will understand who our God is and know that God has made the impossible possible. I pray that God would put me aside and speak through me to you and that his word would be heard above everything else and that he would be glorified. To this point in Exodus, Pharaoh's grief has turned into rage and the mind of Pharaoh has changed. Pharaoh sent horses, chariots, horsemen, and his army to pursue Moses and the Israelites. The Israelites came to the Red Sea facing their greatest obstacle, where freedom appeared impossible. You have the most powerful man in Egypt with the most powerful army that is barreling down on the people of Israel and there is no way of escape. The Israelites had their backs against the sea. They felt that they were hopelessly trapped. They couldn't outrun the chariots and they couldn't just run into the sea. But yet Moses didn't know how God would deliver the Israelites, but he was certain that they would be delivered by God. 
We can pick up in verse 15. The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. Verse 17, and I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots, and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. This brings me to the first big idea. It's all about the glory of God. This is a vital theme in scripture, the glory of God. The problem is the glory of God can't be defined accurately by the limitations of our own human understanding and our own vocabulary. Its vastness extends beyond our grasp. But we can look to scripture and we can see that it's presented in scripture as the manifestation of God's holiness. One thing that is clear about God's glory is that it's important to him. And if it's important to God, it should be important to us. We can take a look at scripture and look at examples throughout scripture where God's glory is referenced. Ephesians 1 verse 4 to 6, this is where God predestined, and he predestined us to the praise of his glorious grace. God chose us to the praise of the glory of his grace. Isaiah 43 verse 7, we were created for his glory. Isaiah 49 verse 3, God called Israel for his glory to be glorified. Jeremiah 13 verse 11, that they might be for me a people, a name, a praise, and a glory. Here God called Israel for his glory. Psalm 106 verse 7 to 8, our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. Yet he saved them for his name's sake, that he might make known his mighty power. God rescued the people of Israel from Egypt to make known his power for his glory. Romans 9 verse 17, God raised Pharaoh up to show his power for his glory. Rafe read earlier Exodus 14 verse 4, and I read earlier verse 18. God defeated Pharaoh at the Red Sea to show his glory. We can look at scripture to think of God's glory as the manifestation of God's holiness. Isaiah 6 verse 3, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Psalm 19 verse 1, the heavens proclaim the glory of God. And then the glory of God is actually continued throughout the life of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4 to 6, the glory of Christ is the image of God. And then in Jesus' final hours, he endured suffering for God's glory on the cross. John 12 verse 27 to 28. Now is my soul trouble, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. It's all about the glory of God. We'll continue in verse 19. Then the angel of God who was going before the hosts of Israel moved and went behind them 
And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. So here the angel of God and the pillar were the same thing. God's manifestation of himself made visible to the Israelites. God led them as a cloud, but then the Egyptian army was about to overtake them. And the cloud, which was God, then moved behind them and served as a shield between the Israelites and the Egyptians. It was in these verses that God showed himself as a protector to his people. Verse 21, this is the miracle at the Red Sea. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. This is how God did the impossible for his people and his glory. The Red Sea demonstrates that God is able, that God is mighty, that he is powerful, and that he is faithful. When Moses stretched out his hand, this was a visible demonstration of the power of an invisible God. The Israelites are in a bleak, an impossible situation, and God is able to deal with all impossibilities. He parts the Red Sea, and the Israelites walk across dry ground. Verse 23, it continues, The Egyptians pursued and went in after them in the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. Verse 24, And in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into panic. Verse 25, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. It's here that we see that the enemy even knows the Lord. The Egyptians are now acknowledging that the Lord is fighting for them. In verse 26, then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon the chariots, and upon the horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. Verse 28, the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen, of all of the hosts of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea, not one of them remained. Verse 29, but the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians were washed away into the Red Sea. This brings me to the second point. In the midst of a battle, hold on to the Lord. I want to ask you a question today. What is your Red Sea? For me, my Red Sea is depression. Many of you don't know that I struggle with depression. It's been an ongoing struggle, and unfortunately, it's often a daily one. 
I've struggled with feeling empty. I've struggled with feeling worthless. I've struggled with feeling inadequate. I've struggled with feeling not wanted and not loved. I've struggled with feeling that I constantly disappoint. And often I've had days where I simply can't articulate how I feel. I've caught myself sitting in silence, just looking and staring, emotionally incapable and paralyzed by my thoughts and overwhelmed by this all-consuming heaviness where I have felt hopelessly trapped and debilitated. And the reality is, is that I've even struggled with suicide. The irony is that in my career and in medical training, my career is built on diagnosing and treating illnesses. And commonly, treatment for depression includes trials of medication, psychological counseling, therapies, checking sleep and exercise habits, and more. And I've tried those. And as a medical prescriber, I can attest to the significant amount of medical evidence and literature which supports the effectiveness of these treatment modalities. It's an excellent gift from God that should 100% be utilized. As a Christian and a believer of the gospel, I can also attest to an even better treatment option provided by the greatest counselor, Jesus Christ. I just shared with you my Red Sea story. I know how difficult Red Sea moments and Red Sea seasons are in life. Some Red Seas feel like death. Look at how the Israelites felt against their biggest obstacle. They were terrified. They believed that they were going to die. And they held on. They held on to the word of God and the promises of God. In the Bible, the story of the Red Sea happened. Throughout scripture, there is power in the word of God. The word of God is breathed by God. And throughout scripture, not just in Exodus, the work of God and what God did at the Red Sea is mentioned throughout the entire Bible. Not just in Exodus. They held on to what God did at the Red Sea. Behind me are all verses throughout the Bible where what God did at the Red Sea was remembered. Joshua 2.10, For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. Nehemiah 9, verse 9 to 11. And you saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and heard their cry at the Red Sea and performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh. And you made a name for yourself as it is to this day and you, were divided, and you divided the sea before them and they went through the mist of the sea on dry land. And then Hebrews 11, verse 29, by faith, they crossed the Red Sea. When you are faced with the Red Sea, you have to do what God's 
people did throughout Scripture and throughout the Bible. You have to hold on to the Lord and hold on to the truth that is in Scripture. The truth in Scripture should be our hope. Romans 15 verse 4. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. We have an everlasting hope in Scripture, His promises, and what Christ did on the cross. You may feel that anxiety, depression, or whatever battle you have right now has a great hold on you. I get it. But I want you to hear something. I want you to hear this clearly. For the Christian, there is never a time in a Christian's life where they are completely overcome. Hear it again. Really, listen to this message. For the Christian, there is never a time, never a time in a Christian's life where they are completely overcome. Whether you've lost someone, whether you've lost a child, whether you've lost a parent, a significant other, whether you have an addiction, pornography, sex, drugs, lust, money, whether you are stuck in your own sin or brokenness, if you have Christ, you will never be overcome. I get it though, sometimes when you are struggling, when you are in the midst of a battle, your mind is consumed by darkness. And that is exactly the reason why you have to hold on to the Lord and hold on to his word. Scripture says, my flesh and my heart may fail. It's Psalm 73, verse 26. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. The promise of Christ is so much more powerful than any pain, any depression, any anxiety, any brokenness, any sin. The gospel message and the message of Christ is that if you follow, it's not that if you follow him, everything's going to be right and everything's going to be okay. That is not the gospel message. The promises of Christ are more powerful than your darkest day and darkest pain. There is hope in Christ and there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. They will have eternal life in heaven, in a new heaven and a new earth. Their battle has already been won. And this leads me to the third big point. God saves and will forever reign. Verse 30, thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Many people view the exodus of, e of God's people out of Egypt as the single greatest act of salvation in the Old Testament. The people of Israel were literally saved from the hand of their enemy and their enemy faced death by God. God used Moses to save the Israelites from a physical death and God used Christ 
to save us from a spiritual death. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 1 to 4, Paul understands that the Israelites were baptized into Moses and Christians are baptized into Christ. The Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians at the Red Sea. But the great thing is that the story doesn't end there. It's the greatest story that's ever been told. Creation started with God creating the heavens and the earth. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Imagine that. Hovering over the waters, God said, let there be light, and there was light. He created man in his own image. Genesis 2-7, then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. But then his creation, us, we fell to temptation. Our sins and our desires caused this separation from a perfect and holy God that is incapable of sin. And the penalty for that sin against a holy and righteous God is death. The problem is that we can't pay our debt to God no matter what we do. We can't pray enough. We can't read enough. We can't abstain enough. You can't meet with Rafe enough. We can't just live the right life. We can't do enough because your best is not enough. He is too great. God is too holy. He's too righteous. He's too pure. He is without blemish. The one who dies to pay our debt on our behalf has to be without sin. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. John 1 verse 14, The word became flesh and dwelt among us. God came in human form as Jesus Christ to provide payment for our sins. He was nailed to a cross. He was crucified. This was the perfect man without sin, the innocent lamb who was sacrificed to pass us over. He he was sacrificed on our behalf and he died. And his death functioned as payment. And God provided a way of salvation, just like he did at the Red Sea. He provided a way of salvation through Christ's death and resurrection. He rose again, and if you believe in him, you will not perish, you will not die. You will have eternal life. That is the gospel truth. After the miracle at the Red Sea, the Israelites escaped Egypt, and the enemy was defeated. Moses and the people responded. They were just saved. And how did they respond? They responded by praising and worshiping the Lord. Exodus 15 is actually the first song in the Bible. It's referred to as the song of Moses. And it's a song that exhibits a praise, a praise for deliverance and preservation of God's people. It's a song that reflects on the glory of God. It's a song that reflects the Israelites holding on to the Lord in the midst of a battle. 
and a song that reflects that God saves and will forever reign. Exodus 15, verse 1. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. Verse 2. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. Verse 3, the Lord is a man of war. Verse 6, your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. Verse 7, in your greatness, your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. Verse 11, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? Verse 12, you stretched out your hand, the earth swallowed them. Verse 13, you have led your steadfast love, the people whom you have redeemed. And verse 18, the Lord will reign forever and ever. In Exodus 15, God's people sing. Saved people should be singing. Israel sang their song with their hearts over their salvation. How much more should we be rejoicing? Should we be singing? Should we be praising? Should we be worshiping that we have a greater deliverance through Jesus Christ? In a moment, we're going to be singing a new song. It's called Raise the Hallelujah. The story behind this song is that it was actually written by Christians in the midst of a battle who had to hold on to the Lord. These Christians who were in the midst of this battle reached out to the church. They reached out to their community. And they asked for prayer and they asked for support. And the church prayed. The worship leader dove into prayer and then he says, all of the sudden, out of his gut, this song came out in the face of a giant. Like the Red Sea. The lyrics say, I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. And then the chorus goes on to say, up from the ashes, hope will arise. Death is defeated. The king is alive. These are the words that reflect our victory in Christ. And they remind us that our focus should be on the Lord. We need to raise a hallelujah for what God did at the Red Sea through Jesus, and through Jesus Christ. Our Red Sea moments are moments for you to focus on the glory of God, holding on to the Lord in the midst of a battle, no matter the outcome, because if you are in Christ, you will never have a time where you are completely overcome. God has made the impossible possible. He saves and he will forever reign. Let's bow our heads and pray. God, I thank you, Lord. I thank you for the work that you did at the Red Sea and the work that you did through Jesus Christ. I thank you for every person here, Lord. I thank you for who you are and your greatness. I thank you for sending your son to die on our behalf for our sins that we may experience this everlasting, eternal life with you. 
God, there are people here today that don't know you. And Lord, I ask that you would reveal yourself to them and that they may know you. Lord, there are people here today that are hurting, that are in the middle of a Red Sea, Lord, and I ask that you would be present. I ask that you would be a source of comfort. I ask that you remind them in the midst of a battle that that they would have this fire inside of them to hold on to you and your glory and know that you are present and that you are in control, that you save and that you will forever reign. God, I ask that you help us to worship you, that we would fill this place with worship and praise and that we would praise the work that you did, that we would raise a hallelujah to you and that we would remember that you are our almighty Father. In your name I pray, amen.